Are you looking for a way to save a little money? What about getting your subscriptions under control? If so, then I've got just the solution for you. Rocket Money. With the help of Rocket Money, I was able to find a subscription that I completely forgot to cancel before the free trial was up. I'm sure you've all been there. And Rocket Money can help me cancel it. Between streaming platforms, apps, delivery services, and even parenting and kids subscriptions, it's hard to keep track of exactly what you're spending and how much it all adds up to each and every month. Not to mention the fact that it seems every single day one of those subscriptions suddenly jumps up in price. Rocket Money alerts you when this happens so you're never caught unawares. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With them, I can see clearly what my monthly spending is and how it compares to the month before, making saving money and taking control over my finances so much easier. They'll also try to negotiate lowering your bills up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll even deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. That's rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Traveling can be a wonderful yet expensive pastime. Before 2002, a young boy pled guilty to the murder of two beloved college professors who tried to help out young strangers and had their lives taken away all for a trip to Australia. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Half and Suzanne Zantop met when they were both studying at Stanford University in the 60s, bonded over their shared home country of Germany, and fell in love. While Half earned his bachelor's degree in geology and later his PhD, Suzanne was working on her master's in political science. They married in 1970, had two daughters, and together began teaching at Dartmouth College. Suzanne teaching German and serving as the chair of the faculty and half teaching geology and earth science. Both were beloved, half becoming extremely popular amongst his students and after years of working had begun discussing a retirement plan in the year 2000. They were a kind couple, which on January 27, 2001, would lead to their undoing. That's the day that when half was 62 and Suzanne was 55, they got a knock on their door in the early morning hours. When Half opened it up, there were two young boys on the stoop of their Etna, New Hampshire home, asking for help with a school survey. They claimed they were students conducting research, and when Half invited them inside, he remarked that they should have been more prepared for their questions if they were going to continue conducting their survey. Angry, one of the boys, 17-year-old Robert W. Tulak, waited for Half to turn away to retrieve a phone number and began attacking him. He took out his SOG knife and began repeatedly stabbing Half in the chest and face so haphazardly that he sliced his own leg in the process. Hearing the commotion, Suzanne, who was in the kitchen preparing a dish for a dinner she was hosting that night, ran into the room only to have the second boy, 16-year-old James J. Parker, begin stabbing her on Robert's command. 
The two boys then took about $340 from Half's wallet and left the couple bleeding on the floor of their home, where they were found hours later by a guest who arrived early for their dinner party. When the police arrived at the scene, they initially dubbed the murder a crime of passion. They surmised that someone who was having an affair with Half had come into the home and killed the couple. This was, of course, later completely disproven, but they did notice something that the killers had left behind. Two very distinct sheaths to their murder weapons and some bloody footprints. After hundreds of calls, emails, and a few false leads, with the Associated Press even reporting that there were three persons of interest interviewed by a task force, the sheath helped to lead the investigators to James J. Parker three weeks after the murder. According to James, he couldn't have been responsible for the murder and offered up what he felt was a pretty solid alibi. Not just that, but he had been a good kid who had never really been in any serious trouble. So it was difficult to believe that murder would be his first run-in with police. According to James, the knives had been purchased with a classmate, Robert Tulock, to build a fort, but that they had sold them to an army surplus store because they were too heavy. James agreed to go through fingerprinting while police paid Robert a visit to confirm James's story. At this point, they truly thought this was just a formality, that surely these two young boys could not be responsible for the brutal murder of two complete strangers. Robert was told he didn't have to speak without a lawyer, as he wasn't necessarily a suspect. But Robert began to speak and told the same story as James Parker. Police believed his story, but as he was speaking, noticed a large cut above his knee and inquired about the injury. He told them that he slipped on a rock and had cut himself on a metal spigot. They asked for fingerprints and a pair of his boots, and he signed the search warrant. The next day, both boys' families found out that the boys had left their homes the night of the murder. And when James Parker's father found a note stating, don't call the cops, he immediately did. Soon, the boot prints and fingerprints were matched with those left at the crime scene, and the two boys, who were originally just questioned as a formality, were charged with a double murder. A warrant was served for Robert and James, who attempted to abandon James's Audi at a truck stop in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, to hitchhike to California. The truck driver who picked them up in New Jersey recognized them and announced their travel plans over the CB radio. And when another driver picked them up and took them to Spiceland, Indiana, it was an undercover cop and the pair were taken into custody at a truck stop. The boys were indicted on a number of charges and authorities said that they had made four previous tries over the course of six months to gain entry into a home, rob them, get their PIN numbers, and kill them. Unfortunately for the Zantops, they were just the first to open their door and allow the boys inside. James Parker was initially charged as an adult because of the severity of the crime, but made a plea bargain when he promised to testify against his friend, Robert Tulock. He was the one who finally shed some light on the motive for the crime when he told the police that the boys, who were otherwise good students, popular amongst their peers, and well-behaved, had robbed the Xantops so they could get some money to travel abroad. According to James's testimony, he and Robert, who was the president of his class, were bored with Chelsea and wanted to go off to Australia, but after some research, knew they would need about $10,000 to do so. So they started forming a plan that initially involved stealing and selling cars, then to identity theft and credit card fraud, stealing mail from mailboxes, and when none of that worked, 
evolved that plan into murdering for bank cards. James Parker, who pled guilty to second-degree murder on April 4, 2002, wept and apologized for the role he played in the murder. He received 25 years to life with the possibility of parole in 16 years and agreed that if any money was gained through publishing or movies about the murder, the money would go to the Zantop children. He filed for release after serving two-thirds of his sentence, but after communicating with half and Susanna's children and objecting to his release, they denied his request. Robert Tulock, whose lawyer attempted to argue that he was suffering from severe mental illness, pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and received a sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. His case is amongst those to be reconsidered following the Miller v. Alabama ruling that deemed life imprisonment without parole unconstitutional for those who committed crimes whilst still a juvenile. I could not find any updates on this case, but he is eligible for resentencing. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on April 5th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.